I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. From growing up in poverty to becoming captain of the Harlem Globetrotters, Today's guest had a transformation that was not by accident. Melvin Adams grew up in poverty and with an abusive father in Houston, Texas. He was challenged early on with extremely negative circumstances. He had a dream of playing professional basketball, but that was not going to be an easy feat. One coach even told Melvin that he'd never play professionally because of his height. But Melvin chose not to let those words or his family life dictate his future. Even though he was only five foot eight, he became a two-time NCAA All-American basketball player, a professional basketball player, and a member of the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters. During his time in basketball, Melvin realized the positive impact he could bring to others. So when he retired from the Harlem Globetrotters, he decided to become a public speaker. And today, Melvin is living out his new dream. He says, It is my passion to share a message of hope with youth across America. I tell them it does not matter where you start, but how you finish. And I had the opportunity to meet Melvin, and he is so full of joy and love. He'll have you laughing one minute and crying the next, but he'll leave you smiling and full of hope. If you'd like a free guide on how to stay focused in competition or tips to gaining confidence in your sport, head on over to laurawilkinson.com slash learn and grab the guide you want. That's laurawilkinson.com slash learn. Before we get started, make sure you smash that subscribe button and give Pursuit of Gold a five-star review. And please tell your friends about this podcast, share your favorite episodes so that we can continue to improve and grow to that next level bringing you more resources, tools, and inspiration. All right. I believe that there's gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode. Melvin Adams, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. Uh, Laura, I'm so honored and humbled just to be in your presence. I honestly can't believe we haven't met until just a few weeks ago. We did an event together here in the Woodlands area for the Junior League and talking to teachers. And, you know, you're from Houston area. Like, it's just so weird that we haven't connected yet. So I'm glad we finally have. You know, it's weird. I'll do stuff in Houston and, you know, they'll bring in people from, you know, New York, L.A., and I'll speak or something, and they'll say, man, where are, you, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from right here. So it's it's crazy how, like, we have so much, we have so many inspiring people right here in Houston, but a lot of us just don't know that we're here. So it was, it like, I was kind of blessed just to, you know, hear your story and just honored that, you know, my kids go to Klein Kane, so we're, like, down the street from, you know. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, I was honored to hear yours and you had me laughing and crying. And I think I experienced every emotion you could possibly experience in your talk. So I'm super excited to like get to share your story with my listeners too. So kind of walk us through, like, I love to go back to the beginning and just kind of where everything started. Like, cause I know your upbringing was not an easy one. So tell us a little bit about your backstory and how you got into basketball. So, you know, my dad was six foot six. My brothers are six eight, six seven, six two. My mom was five three. So I'm like five eight with high heels on. <laughs> so obviously if you were to look at me, you probably wouldn't think that I played basketball. But I grew up in a home where, you know, my dad was very abusive. He was a cop. And I grew up in a home where there wasn't a lot of verbal affirmation. And so I was just a hurting kid. And so I thought basketball was my way of getting out of my situation because like we were so broke if you tried to rob us you'd be practicing so like basketball <laughs> was going to be kind of my way 
of getting out of my situation and also thinking that if I could just do really good sports and my mom would love me. That's really what I wanted. I just wanted to Curtis say she loved me. She was proud of me. And so I was just a very driven, driven kid. Like my whole life surrounded basketball, everything around it. Never went to my high school prom, you know, just never did anything. Basketball was my life. And uh, in pursuit of that, I was in high school and it just was kind of coming to a head. It was just built up, built up, built up. And I was just very angry, just seeing a lot of negative stuff. And there were just two teachers, uh, two teachers who just, uh, you know, who were just all about changing people's lives. Who I guess they were in pursuit, making people feel like they wanted to go medal, like you, gold woman. But anyway, so they did that. And it, it literally just changed my life. And it's just even for the listeners, like you don't have to be a winner, gold medal or basketball player. You can wherever you are in your life. You can go out and make people feel like they just want to go metal and help them pursue their dream and their purpose. Well, I kind of want to dig into the fact that you were driven a little more because you say it was because of trying to like vie for love for your mom or, or make a way out. Like, where did that come from? Like, were your brothers the same way? Were you following their lead? Or was this just how did that get into your head? Do you even know? My brothers were older. I was the baby. And so being the baby, you know, there's a lot of pressure you want to be like them, but obviously they didn't set a good example because they were like, you know, like kind of just doing bad stuff. But I was just driven. I, I you know, I would shoot 3,000 jump shots a day because I just wanted to be great. You know what I mean? I was short, so I wanted to prove to people that little people, you know, we belong. So I was just driven to just prove people wrong. Uh, you know, just all the hard work, endless time. And of course, obviously, athletically, I achieved a lot of great success. And I think that a lot of athletes that you see today even as we hear about the Major League Baseball, NBA, and NFL, like they say that, you know, 90% of them, like five years after they retire, are broke, divorced, and on drugs, all because we don't know who we are outside of the game. So the, the driven and the work ethic was great on a success level, but many people are just searching for, you know, I mean, just like that, like to be loved or that you're great without a basketball in your hand or baseball or a tennis racket or, you know what I mean, or a golf club. What was that pursuit like? Was that first goal to get out and get to college? The first goal was to play on varsity. My first goal was to, was to make the varsity team. So I made the varsity team my junior year. Of course, it became all district. And then I wanted to obviously make the varsity. And then that was another goal. Because I had like, I set like goals, like like year goal, yearly goals. So my first goal was to make the varsity, start on the varsity, which I did as a junior and senior. And then I wanted to play college basketball. And so there was no schools interested in me obviously five foot eight you know our team wasn't like didn't do that well and so I got an opportunity to go to a junior college and had some really athletes that were 20 times better than me and it was the best thing for me I got redshirted or or basically coaching I wasn't kind of good enough or there's some things I need to work on and so being around these amazing athletes it just helped my game so by the time I went to my second college I just felt like I played against the best and everybody else's kind of beneath that. So my mindset was like, nobody can stop me. Oh, that's awesome. Did you pursue the college after that or were people coming to recruit you? Like, how did you move on from that junior college forward? So when I went to the junior college, the coach, you know, he kind of set me down and basically told me I would never play college basketball, told me I was too little, told me if I did play, they, they, they'd call me windshield wipers because they'd block my shot. And it was just more fuel. I just always was looking for fuel. I already had the fuel, but I just needed you know, sometimes it's more. So I ended up going to Europe. My high school coach was well-connected with a lot of people. So I ended up going to Europe for our junior Olympics. Oh, wow. And it was, it was there that my even my confidence went to a whole nother level because I went over to Europe and I was just so fast 
and so quick. And they they have teams like six four, six eight, six nine, seven one. That was their starting team. Oh wow! And I was just blown by these guys like they were on skates. And so I remember the first game I had forty four points, and in Germany they gave me like a parade. It, it was crazy. It was the craziest thing. So by the time I went, so there was a coach that was in Europe actually who saw me play, and he gave me a scholarship to play at his school in Los Angeles. And then that's when kind of when I got there, but I had really bad grades. I wasn't as smart as, you know, Laura Wilkinson. I was like trying to <laughs> get on that level. So I was like, so I, so I had to, I, I redshirted again. And so it was two years that I didn't get to play. So now I'm just, so my third year, which was my junior in college, my sophomore year on the court, I was just so hungry and ready to play. And so I, that first year, like we win the national championship. Oh, wow. I, I got MVP. I averaged like 21 points. I mean, it was like, you know, uh, conference. I mean, I, I was just so, and so that just, and then that sparked something else because I had never won a championship. I wanted to in high school. So now I wanted that all the time. Man. So that two years, you're kind of like having to sit on the bench and just watch everyone else play and you're getting hungry. Like what kept you motivated during that time? Cause I know when a lot of people get sidelined or they get benched or they're injured and they're out and they are hungry, but they're frustrated. You know what I mean? Like, how did you keep your head in the right place? Well, there were many times, cause I do want people to know there are times I, I thought maybe I'm not good enough. There were times that I thought maybe I didn't have what it takes. Cause I think people sometimes will look at, you know, they'll look at you and they'll just think you came out of your mother's womb and you just was a gold medalist. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like that. It was a lot of heartache, a lot of times you wanted to quit. And there were times when I would just, you know, there would be times where I would just say, you know, forget it. But when it burns inside of you, sometimes you may take a day off, but that burning never left me. Like that desire, I could literally see everything that I accomplished. I could see it in my mind. And that's what kept me going because I said, you know what, my time is going to come. Like all of this hard work is going to pay off. Like, you know what I mean? It's going to pay off. It's got to pay off. And so I may be going through a winter in my life, but I know that summer is eventually going to come because it's just not going to be winter all the time. Oh, I like that. That's so good. So you win this national title and then did you still have more school left after that? Did you have another year left to play? I had two. I had two more years. So I go to the school and the school had won one game every year for five years. So everybody on campus like walk like losers. They talk like losers. They were just like, you know, here's this new guy. What are you going to do? And, and so this is a fresh, kind of like a fresh voice. And I'm like, we're going to win the national championship. So I had to learn how to wheel my wheel into the minds and the hearts of the guys on that team. And I had to do that by, I was coming in with my first year, I had a couple of seniors. So you have to, I got to gain trust. So I had to, my thing was like, was just to tear them up on the court. If I'm the best in this gym, they're going to listen to me. But being a leader is not just being the best athlete. It's the character. It's like the being there before everybody got there, the one staying late, winning every sprint, being obedient to what the coach says. And so they just caught on to that. And there were some games I just took over. I was like, I just put the team on my back and I'm going to just will us to win because they never knew how to win. So as we started, like we won, like, you know, when we won our first game, everybody was like, oh, well, they're going down now. You know what I mean? And so... By the time we went on our, our like our LA trip, our first we played three home games and we were three and zero. So I mean, it's buzzing on the campus. It's like when Laura Wilkinson walks into a room. I mean, it's buzzing. <laughs> the people are jumping up. They're doing Yoda. They're doing. Uh, they're just pumped up. They're excited. And so you know, obviously we go on to win the national championship and they give us a big parade and it's just exciting. I never experienced that. So now when the season was over, I waited one day. I rested one day and then the next day I started preparing for the next year because I wasn't satisfied 
with that, I wanted to win it again. Oh, that's so good. So how did that next year go? The next year was, uh, wasn't good. I mean, we got a bunch of freshmen came in and so they're kind of learning the system. And, you know, for me, it was great. I mean, I was, I led the nation in scoring because I had to put a, do a lot. I, I, I was voted first team all American and we went to the tournament and we lost, you know what I mean? And so, but, but again, those kids were watching me. And what happened was there was one kid that was just like me, but he was a freshman. And my coach, I remember my coach coming to me and saying that um, in order for us to win, you're going into your senior year, you have to make him become you. So when you were the one always winning the games, you got to start teaching him to do that because you're going to be leaving. And that was, that was the hardest thing because when you've been that person for a long time, the pride and then humility. So there were a lot of games I didn't. A lot of games I did it on my own. And then as season went on, I started putting it in his hands. and He would miss the shot and I would get frustrated. But then I had started encouraging him. Like, hey, man, you can do it. You can do it. And he became better than me. Uh, actually, we that year, my senior year, we won the national championship again. And he was voted MVP. And then they ended up winning it three more years after I left. So, so like, he won it his sophomore year. And then they won it his junior year and his senior year. So they, he won three championships. I won two. And then he ended up surpassing my scoring title, which I would always say, like, yeah, you played four years. I played three. And you, you beat me by like two points. But, but yeah, you would say that. Oh, man. You know what I love about that? Because you were leading by example. It's that integrity with which you were showing up to training. And you can speak to people till you're blue in the face. But when they see what you do, that speaks so much louder, right? That's such a bigger statement. But I love the script was kind of flipped on you that last year when you were having to humble yourself to raise up someone else and give him the risks and be willing to like lose in order to help the team develop in the future. Like that's not an easy thing to do. That's not. And I think, you know, we, I coach a basketball team and one of my sayings is like after every practice, I'll say, and you can use this for whatever sport. Obviously I use it for basketball because that's what I do. But I said, no, basketball is what we do. It's not who we are. And our greatness doesn't come from whether we win or lose in the game of basketball. You're great already. And I think that if I would have learned that earlier in my life or even some athletes, like you see, like a Michael Jordan or, you know, they just don't know how to let go of the game. And they're just holding on to it because their whole identity is in the sport. But we have to teach our young people that they're great, not because they wear makeup, uh, not because they have muscles, you know, not because of the car they drive. But, you know, they're, they're great anyway. So then there's that, you know, I mean, there's that kind of balance of knowing that because we're all going to get older like you can't play the game you can't swim run forever and there's going to come a time when there's going to be another laura wilkerson she may have a different name but you can teach her some of the things the successes and also the things where you fail so that she can even go further than where you went and as you sit back and you watch this young girl compete or young boy compete it's kind of like a parent you're just a proud parent it's bigger than the game. Yeah. Well, I think you hit on it too. Like basketball is just what you do. It's not who you are. And I think for so many athletes, like you were saying, we get caught up in like our identity or our value even lies in our, you know, the results at the end or our performance or our time or our score or whatever it is. But there comes a day where you have to retire for one reason or another. Like there will be a day you have to retire. And it's like, if you don't know who you are outside of the sport, you can get very lost, you know, because you're going to lose 
the community and all the familiarity and the routine and all of those things. And you have to have this new beginning. So I think it's really important as you're developing these skills that you learn how to do them in your life as well and find out who you are outside of the arena. You know, also, I think that's really important. So true. So true. So you did amazing in college. You Then you created this new generation coming after you to be amazing in college. What happened after college? So after college, I got a job to go play in New Zealand. And uh, because there's professional teams in every country. And so I go to New Zealand. And again, that was a whole crazy situation because obviously I wanted to go to the NBA and you know, be insured. And, but because of what I did in college, I got an opportunity to go to New Zealand. And it was the same deal. This team was bottom of the barrel. And then I come in the first game, uh, we, we had a double hitter and I scored 69 points the first game. And it was all in the newspaper, this five to eight, everybody else there is like six, four and up and I'm five, eight. And so I, I make the front page of the newspaper. And then, then the next game, the next day we played, I had 71. And so, you know, from that point, I mean, it just, it became, I took that team from the bottom of the barrel to losing the, the New Zealand championship. And then I went to Poland, same deal. The team was bottom of the barrel and we win the European championship and I get MVP. And then I go to Argentina, we lose the championship. So everywhere that I went, you know, we either won the championship or got to the championship game. But I learned a lot about leadership and how to make other people around you, how you can make maybe mediocre people believe that they're the greatest of all time. How do you start doing that? Like, explain that to me. So go back to college. When I went to college, I, I looked at the guys and I was like, you know, all of them, their mentalities are losing. That's all they know. They don't know what it takes to win. So number one, I had to show, like when I went into practice, I tried to just let it be known without a shadow of a doubt, like this is my team. And so I would guard whoever the, the star was the, the year before, I guarded that person. And I wanted to just go at him and let him know that I'm that dude now. Like I'm the new sheriff in town. Then I would find out about their personality. Like everybody has different personalities. So it was one guy, he was very quiet. So I'd go to him and I'd go, hey man, listen, why don't me and you meet in the gym, you know, for like an hour and I'll just penetrate and kick it to you. Like, where do you like to shoot it? I got to find out where you like to sh shoot it at. And so we would just go over that. It helped me build, it helped me get to know him, get to know about his life, his family, and build a relationship and a trust. Then I went to another guy who was the star, which are the two guys that were like, one was averaging 23, one was averaging 25. And I was like trying to see why weren't they good enough to make everybody else better. But they just didn't have that. They didn't have that alpha male that they were just kind of, what I say, like a lot of people can make A's. But if you make A's, then uh, everybody would just say, oh, man, you think you're smart. And then, so we don't want to, we don't want the attention. So we don't want to make F's because then everybody's going to tease us and say, oh, man, you're like, you're dumb or something like that. So what we do in life is we learn how to make C's and we just float through life. We marry people we don't love, we work in jobs we don't like, and we just find ourselves floating through life. There's no passion, no joy, no excitement, even as I'm getting excited talking about this. So I had to bring that. And, and again, I was a shy guy, but I got around people that stretched me and I was able to be fat, FAT, faithful, available, and teachable. So then I would find the other guys and I would just take them out to Denny's or Taco Bell. And, and I would just get to know them, get to know where they come from, like their home lives. Because that, that, that told me a lot. Like if the parents weren't involved, you know, like if they didn't care, then they didn't care. And so I had to do things like that. So I started doing stuff like, okay, man, like if you can meet me shooting, I'll, get, I'll pay for your lunch. <laughs> we'll go to In-N-Out and I'll buy your burger. So it started this, everybody's competitive. Like everybody was getting, I was getting that out of them. 
like even at, at a Christian school, we're getting in a fight. So I just started getting them to be competitive. And once I saw that, I'm like, yeah. So I kept doing it. And then after we won, like we came back, we, we were three and oh, and we went on this road trip. We were playing four games. We we're playing against in the tournament. We lost the tournament because of me, because I was playing against the school that I went to the year before. And it was very selfish. I was trying to prove to that coach that I was a guy. I had like, I think I had like 41 points or something like that. But if I would just pass it to the one guy, we would have won the game, won the tournament. But I didn't. I tried to be the hero. I lost the game. So we come back off the road and we're six and one. And we had a big meeting about that. I told the guys I was sorry. And I should have passed to them. And then I just started using my gift to kind of get those guys shots. And I was always giving them notes. Hey, man, great game today. I loved it when you made that pass. I loved it when you made that shot. Hey, man, like you had nine rebounds, but, but what could you have done to get 11? And if you get 11, I'll give you that banana split, you know, you like over at Dairy Queen. You know what I mean? Like just stuff like that. And so once the buzz started going and we started winning and they started loving that feeling, it was like a, it was a snowball going down. They couldn't be stopped. It was. There's so much in there to just unpack. I mean, you kind of inadvertently became the coach in a, in a lot of ways, you know, the coach of the attitudes at least. But I love that you took the time to get to know them and to learn what made them tick and what would push them to motivate them, you know, and and that's new for me because I'm from an individual sport. So I never did a lot of team type things, but my daughter's in a team sport. She's in volleyball. So I'm, I'm seeing this like whole new side, but I love that your leadership started with like caring about who the people were and what made them tick and how to get them to operate at a different level, like how to change them in a healthy way. You know what I mean? Not like forcing it, but like encouraging them. And I love the faithful, available, teachable. That is really cool. Why do you think that's so special? That faithful, available, teachable? I think, Number one, like even for you, like they knew every day you were going to show up. You were going to be in that pool every day. Whatever time it was, you were going to be there. And so it's the same thing because I look at everything from the sports, but also into the world. As a father, I have a wife and I put on a ring on my finger. I looked at my wife's mom in the face and I said, I will be faithful to your daughter. Like I looked at her dad and that meant those weren't just words that I said that that meant something to me like that. And if I ever hurt my wife, I hurt, like, you know what I mean? So, like, she knows that, like, I'm going to be here. I don't care good days, bad days. I'm going to be here. Like, I have kids. They need to know, like, their dad, when he says something, he's going to do it. I don't do it all the time, you know what I'm saying? But, like, but you can say faithfully, be, be faithful. If you say you're going to commit to something, commit to it. Commit to it with your heart, your soul, your body, and your mind. And then be available, because I can... I can be at your house and still not, I can be there physically, but still not be there emotionally. Like, you know what I mean? I could just be, and we see that a lot. Even we have these two parent homes, a lot of kids, they're, they're there, but everybody's working and everybody's on their social media. And so we're together, but we're really not together. So it's being available to your team, like say, or, you know, to your spouse, or like, I'm here for you. Like, whatever you need me to do, I'm going to be faithful and I'm available. And then, and then I, I want to learn from you. I spent a lot of time with my coach because I wanted to know how he thought. I wanted to know his thinking process. Why did you want that play at that time? Why did you put that defense in at that time? And I started. So then by the time my junior year came, I was like him on the court. Like he didn't even have to call a play because I knew exactly what he was thinking. And so because I was teachable, I wanted to learn. My sophomore year, I remember going to his office and I said, Coach, I want you to work me harder than you work any player you've ever had. I'm going to make it to the NBA. He goes, no player has ever made it beyond this place. I said, well, I'm going to be the first. And then he laughed. And it was something else that made me mad. It was more fire. 
So he's constantly getting on me my sophomore year, junior. My senior year, I was fed up. And I was just like, man, you always ride me. And I just walked out. I remember him coming out. He said, you told me. He said, you're the hardest worker I've ever coached. And you're the best player I've ever coached. And you told me to work you harder. But I mean, that was a very, you know, because I was, again, being teachable. There goes there, but being teachable and just wanting to be the best, you know. For sure. No, I love that. And I guess what advice would you have? Because I feel like to be teachable, to be coachable, you have to have a certain level of humility to take the criticisms well and to, especially if it's not from a coach, but from a teammate or something like that. Like how would you say to somebody who's maybe struggling with that or, you know, they've got a little chip on their shoulder, a little pride, like what would you suggest to become more teachable? You have to not think of yourself more than what you are. For me personally, everywhere that I go, everybody expects a 6'8 guy. So it's no way for me to think I'm all that when nobody even thinks I'm that guy who's the athlete. So I always looked at myself like that, like I'm a nobody. And I mean, like I'm somebody, but I would look at myself like I'm a nobody. Like, you know what I mean? Like nobody gave me a chance. Nobody believed in me. That's how I live my life. Like, and serve people. Like you got to get out of you because the sport will pat you on the back enough to where you think it's all about you, but it's not. You've been put at that place so that you can help bring others up, not about you. So you can pat me on the back and look at me. I'm so awesome because that's when we lose what this thing is really all about. It's really about if you have a gift and you're being pushed up, use your gift to bring other people up and make the world a better place. I really love that. So now you're traveling around the world, too. You've been to New Zealand. And where did you say? Poland. Oh, Poland. Poland and Argentina, right? Yeah. And then where do you go from there? So there I go to the Globetrotters. How did you make that switch? Because the Globetrotters, like, all I know is that they're more of like a show team, right? And I mean, you guys do the crazy tricks and all the fun stuff. And I've seen you do that on stage, too. But like, that's a big change from what you were doing, right? Yeah. So the Globetrotters, you know, the history of the Globetrotters was that in the 1920s, they wouldn't let Blacks play professionally. So Abe Saperstein, Jewish guy, he lived in Chicago. And he called his team Harlem. Because Harlem at that time was synonymous with black people. So he wanted people to know that he had a black team. He called them Globetrotters because he wanted people to think that they went all over the world when actually they never left Chicago. So they would go around and they would just beat these teams so bad that they had to start playing around with them just to keep people entertained. Because nobody wants to see somebody get beat by 40. So what happened was they ended up playing the Minneapolis Lakers, who were the NBA champions. The Globetrotters challenged them in a game, national TV, and they beat them. And then, of course, they got mad and they played them again and the Globetrotters beat them again. And then from that moment, the NBA wasn't making money, but the Globetrotters were selling out arenas all over the world. And so what the NBA did was they said, why don't y'all play first? And then the NBA teams will play second. So what happened was they, they would sell out. And when the Globetrotters game was over, the people would leave. So the NBA started recruiting Globetrotter players. And that's how, like, there's a movie actually coming out called, I, I, forget, I think his name is Cliff. It's, I forget the guy's name, but. It's a movie coming out. And he was the first Globetrotter that went to the NBA. And then, like, you know, then they started recruiting, you know, because Will Chamberlain played for the Globetrotters, Magic Johnson played for the Globetrotters. And so we had a lot of people. So the Globetrotters wasn't just common. Like, you have to be able to play. Because if you can't play, you won't make the team. So your talent has to be subpar. And then there's some guys that have great talent, but they don't have great personalities. And with the Globetrotters, you got to be able to play and be good, have a great personality because you're going to be in front of, you know, millions of people. So the Globetrotters, it taught me a lot about using the sports to do exactly what I'm doing now, traveling, and motivating students and entertaining, using entertainment to give a message of, uh, you know, finding their purpose and knowing they have value. 
But so the Globetrotter was a, yeah, it, it, that helped me. And even kind of hone my skills as far as hand, getting my hand quicker by doing tricks. It really kind of helped my game. That's really, really cool. So were you trying to get into the NBA or was the Globetrotter something that you were like, I really think that would be good for me? Like, how did that kind of mindset shift happen? What happened was I came home from overseas and my agent, John Lucas, who actually worked with the Rockets. And at the time he was working with the Spurs. So I remember coming home and, you know, I meet this agent and he connects me with, with the Spurs organization. So I started working out with the Spurs, doing really well, like doing really good. I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be good. Well, all the while, I'm about to be invited to their camp. So I'm in their San Antonio Spurs camp. And while I'm there, I was dribbling the ball and I failed and I still kept my dribble. We call it padding. Uh, Kyrie Irving does it a lot. I was patting it. And so he takes me to the side. He says, hey, man, you're a great Globetrotter. And I was like, I remember seeing them when I was 10 years old. And I was like, but I didn't know anything about them. So I was like, man, do they, they get paid? You know, I was thinking like, well, they so he goes, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, nothing. He said, come out to this gym. And he came, I came to the gym. He gave me these knee pads. And he said, can you like slide? Like you're running fast as you can with the dribble and then slide. And I did it. And I began to keep doing it, keep doing it. And so like he said, uh, hey, man, we're going to fly you to Orlando. So it flies me to Orlando, Florida, Disney World. And, and I remember when I was 10 years old, Curly Neal, uh, I remember that moment and how the Globe tried to just like pump me up, like going to see them play. And I just remember the joy that they brought. And everybody in the stands was just like, you know, NBA games, you see fighting, you see, but you never see that in the Globe Trotter games. Everybody's happy, everybody's. And I was like, wow. And then during this time, basketball wasn't fun like it used to be because when money gets involved in contracts, it's not like it was in high school or in college. So when the Globetrotters came, it was like, wow. It was like, man, like they offered me a con- four-year contract with a shoe deal, and movies. So I was like, so I jumped on it. Because the reality, Lauren, I, Laura, for me, I'd always been speaking. And I wanted to use, I know that I eventually I would be traveling speaking, but with a name like the Globetrotter, you say that name and doors just open for me to come in and speak in any public school any corporation, because everybody has memories of the Globetrotters. And one thing I love about the Globetrotters, which is different from the NBA, was that you, you never hear us bragging on TV or radio how much money we make, but we promise to give million-dollar smiles every night. <laughs> I love that. And I think that's what stood out to me. And it was like everywhere we went, people, I'm talking about Europe, we were like the Beatles. I didn't know that they were that famous. And so that really just blew my mind. I said, how I could take a, a small basketball, spin it on a kid's finger and give a kid hope and change the whole. So basketball at this time, I was dealing with my mom, realizing that my identity was basketball and that I was you know, getting older. I was still young. I was like you know, 27. And I was just like, you know, man, I met my wife and I just never felt that way about a, a girl. And, <laughs> and I just, you know what I mean? I started thinking about her all. I would think about the game is being over so I can go to the hotel and call her just to hear her voice. Like uh, when I'd see her, I would just hug her. I would just have her sit, you know, I mean, just something she was like everywhere I was at. And I'd never been like that before because my life was everything with basketball. And I finally met a woman who made me think, took time for basketball and my time was a lot of thinking of her. So, you know, I don't know. It's just like, I thought, man, you know, like I really want to do something. I want to change the world. Like maybe there's some kids out there that's, going through stuff that I went through and, you know, and I, so I was, again, trying to find like the same kid in college, trying to find more people like that so that when Laura dies, like there's still Laura's in the world. Like there's still young girls going around motivating with their story, not because they're not you, but they're sharing 
their overcoming story and how what motive you know inspired them passing that torch on yeah passing that torch yeah go ahead they go four by one hundred I see <laughs> so was the Globe Trotters everything that you hoped it would be was it that cool and you just felt like you were giving so much back oh it was the Globe Trotters was probably one of the I mean outside of being married and having children the Globe Trotters was like probably one of the best things. Because like I said, the Globe Trotters taught me that there was more to the game than just about winning and losing. We played in Africa and there was a civil war going on. Like they were killing each other. And they loved the Globe Trotters so much that they stopped the war. So we got to play for two, we got to play for, for one hour and then we had one hour to get out of that town. They were going to start killing people. So we had both people on both sides hating each other, but they were all laughing during the game. And we would use that to try to bring them together, try to bring some peace, like try to show how we're different, but we're the same. And so after the game, I mean, everybody was laughing, joking. And at the end of the game, the guy was like, hey, man, y'all got an hour to get out of here or y'all going to be in the middle of the floor. But they literally stopped. And I thought, wow, see, that's bigger, bigger than the game. Way bigger than the game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that just kind of blows my mind there. Like, where were you in your life? Like, because I read something and I'm not sure, you know, what you find on the Internet, how true any of that stuff is. But at one point, I've got something saying, like you said, you were living a lifestyle that you weren't proud of. Was that like when you were younger or was that like around this time or when did that kind of shift? I grew up kind of sheltered because basketball kept me away from drugs, alcohol, sex. Then when I started playing, all of that stuff was around. And you're talking about a young man that just wanted his mom to say she loved him. And so I'm getting this high, like just being on the court. People love you. They want your autograph. And then it was a very lonely time because, you know, you got 14 guys that are like going out clubbing. And I just didn't do that. I never I never was a clubber guy. I, I was always in the gym. So it, it was the funnest but the loneliest time of my life. Because on the court, we were like a family. But after the game, they were going to do their thing. And I would be in the hotel, you know, watching Mr. Bean, talking to a pillow. So I went out. I went out one day. I went out and, and, and uh, you know, some girls, they were just saying everything my mom never said. Like, man, you were great. You're awesome. And I found myself just like. Every night after every game, wanted to go out and get that, get that affirmation. And that led to like just, and when I say drinking, I wasn't like some alcoholic. I'm about, I could drink a, I could drink a wine cooling because I just never drank. You know what I mean? I could take two sips of, of like some Patron and I'd be like, my head would be all jacked up. But, and so you know, I was just like having sex, man. Just, and then I just wasn't raised like that. I wasn't raised like, you know what I mean? Like seeing different chicks. And so I just got to a place where I was like, man, this is, that, it's not like fun like it you know it was like this is it, now it's business and then all this stuff comes with it and i think a lot of people they want certain things but they don't know what comes with that like you know what i mean like well, i want a baby but you don't know what having a baby is going to be worth like you can't do the thing you want to do like you're going to have to sacrifice and pay buy diapers and clean wake up all through the night you know so we don't really know sometimes what we're asking for and that's kind of where i was but i think the, the reality of it was it was the little bitty boy who was still 25, 26, 27, 28, still looking for that affirmation because he was a mama's boy. And though I had all the successes, none of that mattered just to hear my mom say, I love you and I'm proud of you. Not because of what you do, but I'm just, I love you. Did she ever say that to you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, me and my mom, we have like, the second part of my story is great. I'm still kind of living, but like me and my mom, we talked like almost every day. You know, when I got married, my mom came, she was coming to see my oldest son, he was doing a play at the school. He was, my mom comes over. And back then, we, we used to get like yard. And I was out there cleaning, having my yard. Like, and so my mom was like, do y'all pay somebody to do your yard? And my wife was like, no, nah, Melvin did that. Because she always thought I was lazy. <laughs> but to all my friends, I was going to be a good wife. You know, because my mom just, I mean, it was like my dress smelled like pine saw, my hands smelled like comet. 
I mean, she was a very just, and so uh, she saw it. She just watched. I was videoing. I'm high fiving my son. And I was doing beat, just interacting with him, even with my wife. And, and my mom was like, "Man, you know, like I'm like your dad was never like that." She was like, "Man, you really good husband, good son." And I just like lost it. I was trying to. I hide behind my comedy because comedy is how I dealt with life. But that's and I just teared up because that's all I ever wanted. And then at that time, it was like I was still going like playing at the Y. And, you know, you're getting all frustrated because you want to win. But when she said that, like, I really didn't, like, not that I didn't care, but I was like, dude, like, you're not going to win every game. Like, who's going to remember this 20 years from now, how many points you scored against at the YMCA? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, who's going to remember? Like, so, yes, I guess that's kind of made everything kind of in perspective and slowed life down. And- kind of come full circle a little bit, but then a different ending, I suppose. But what kind of encouraged you to change? Like you fell into that kind of lifestyle that you weren't really wanting, but you were seeking those affirmations and all that stuff. At what point did you realize that wasn't for you or that you made changes? Uh, I just, you know, I, I, we had a big celebrity night with all the celebrities came out. And I would see these people that I would see on TV who I thought had everything. And I began to see that they were like jacked up. And then it hit me. I said, man, you know, I'm traveling, playing basketball for two hours. And these people are going home to 22 hours of just hell. How selfish of me. You know what I mean? I'm living my dream. My life's great. So at that point, I was just like, you know what, man? Like, that's when I started kind of preparing to like get out. I met Sonia. I started seeing this stuff. And I said, you know what, man? Like, there's got to be something bigger than this. That was kind of the turning point, man. I just, when I saw this celebrity and how jacked up she was, that was kind of the point. I was like, you know what? I'm out of here. Like, I'm going to start speaking with a company. I'm going to travel and motivate the world. Oh, that's so awesome. And you do an amazing job of it. I love that. I mean, for all of you listening, when he tells this story on stage, I mean, he's just, I mean, talking a mile a minute, but sharing these like truth bombs and then these jokes that go with it. And he's he's got people up on stage. He's showing them like you were talking about, like a little kid, you're teaching them how to spin the ball on their finger. Like you're helping them hold it there and showing them that they can do these crazy impossible things too. And you can help them do it. And I just love it because you kind of open people's eyes to what they think their reality is, but then what it actually could be. And I think so many people, like you were saying, kind of just kind of float through life. And they, especially as you get older, like, and you get kind of into these sort of ruts a little bit, you just kind of get used to just walking, floating through life or, you know, your day to day just kind of takes over and you forget that like, there can be a lot more to it. And and we're capable of a lot more than we think we are sometimes. True. And even in you, I mean, I'm not a swimmer, you know, because I always say like, in the movie Titanic, I don't know if one black person in that movie, because that movie would have probably been three minutes, you know, just <laughs> brothers don't swim. But when I was watching, you were showing the video and I got very emotional because I know what that's like of being told you can't do something. And you know what I mean? And so like every time I see like your video or a Rocky movie or the movie about the horse, I forget the little horse, the horse that ran. Anytime I see these type of movies, man, I just cry because my mind goes back to that little boy. And for anybody that's listening, man, there's always going to be people telling you you can't do something or you may feel like you're you're always in the winter in your life. You need to understand that there, there are seasons. Life is seasons. There's winter, summer, spring, and fall. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so there's, you may be in a winter and things may not look the way you want, but you have to understand you just got to hold on because winter does not always last. Summer is coming. Your summer may not come when you want it. And maybe that's an opportunity to look back and go, okay, what is it about me? What am I not learning in my winter, which is making my winter so long? What do I need to do to change? Maybe there's some things I need to change the way I think, the way I treat people, you know, 
my work ethic, you know, so that when the summer comes, you'll excel because your summer is coming. Don't just think it's going to be forever winter blizzards. But even in your winter, you can you can make snowmen. You can get balls of snow and throw it at people. It's hilarious. Like you don't have to just be sad and all gloomy because when your summer comes, you're still sad about the winter. You can't even enjoy your summer. Oh my goodness, that's so good. Still make snowballs and throw them at people, you know, dance in the rain in the spring, right? Like, and enjoy the summer when you're there, like all aspects of it. I love it. It's it's really how you look at it. It's not your circumstance. It's what you do with that and how you approach it and your attitude toward it. What I really hear from you so much is that you chose to have a different outlook. You chose that you wanted to be more and to hang on to those beliefs and to go for it no matter what, and to prove people wrong because you had these dreams that you chose to look forward to. And I I just absolutely love that. I think we're wired very similarly, you know, a lot of connections there. Uh, I just love your story. How how can people follow you online or connect with you or invite you to speak at their school or their organization? You can go to uh, melvinadamspeaks.com, melvinadamspeaks.com, or you can go to Top Youth Speakers. Dot com top youth speakers.com either one of those will get you to get in touch with me but i would love whatever organization have or love to come out and inspire and motivate just make the world just bring more love to the world be more love for sure and i as a excited audience member will definitely vouch for how amazing your talk is and how fun it is and you pull in the audience and everything and get them on stage it's just so impactful because you really bring people in i love it and people can follow you on instagram is that where you kind of mostly live online if they go to instagram they could go to globetrotter melvin and that's uh on twitter as well but but the same thing laura said like, laura is the same way like if you're out there man you need a lady somebody to come in and motivate inspire she is amazing her story is incredible. It's gut-wrenching. It's going to inspire you. And even if you're knocked down, like, don't give up. And so having her, whatever it is that you have, like, the people will never be the same when they leave. They'll come in one way, they'll leave another. An amazing mom and just an amazing person. So, like, just tell other people about what she's doing and go online and check in. Whenever she's on there, just like if anything, just listen to her voice. She's just like so smooth. And she sounds like God made her out of magic and sugar cubes. So awesome. We're going to hang out more. And I'm just going to have you always talk around me so that I sound better than I am. So thanks for that. Hey, Stevie Wonder can see how amazing you are. I mean, you're amazing. No, right back at you. You're awesome. Love you. So thankful that you came on and just inspired and encouraged all of us. Thanks, Melvin. Well, I love you, Laura. Have a good day. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.